hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. The number one award-seeking comedy podcast about comedy... Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast podcaster, Mark Kershaw. Yowza! It's me, Mark Hershon, and this is Epi 102 of Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast, also known as the first episode of Suckatash Chats. Chats. That's right. Chats, no clips. Well, not clips per se. We do have a couple of our Burst of Durst segments. There's a Henderson's Pants ad. There's the Tweet Sack. But no comedy podcast clips. Well, almost no comedy podcast clips, as you'll be hearing shortly. If you've come for the clips, please be sure to check out our previous Epi 101, which was our first Suckatash clip show. That was all clips, no chats. And our next episode, number 103, will be all clips again. I also invite you to check out our past episodes via our homepage at SuckatashShow.com. We've had some great interviews in our past 100 episodes, and we've played a number of great comedy podcast clips, and also some that were not so great, but that's what we're here for, is to let you hear what's out there, and you decide what you want to go harvest and listen to for yourself. While you're there, by the way, on SuckatashShow.com, feel free to click on our Donate button, or shop at our Suckatashery, or use the Amazon banner at the top of the page to do your shopping on Amazon.com. They'll throw us a few bucks, and the money will help us keep things going here at home. In the chat circle this week, our special guest is Brian Flaherty, the host of the New Hollywood Podcast. Now, I've been enjoying his podcast, which focuses mostly on people connected to movies in the 1970s, although he has begun to push out from those parameters just a little bit. A couple of episodes ago, he had filmmaker Adam McKay as his guest, and he did a special pre-episode with McKay, playing a character named Alan Marlowe, a 70s sleazy movie producer. So, The Sins of Elmira. Oh, my what God. What was The that? Sins of Elmira. You dug deep, didn't you? I did. <laughs> yeah, that was 73. That was with Julie Christie. Yeah. And huh. we made that for $7,000. Wow. Yeah. And it's not on any Julie Christie. Uh, we I shot am. on an abandoned oil derrick <laughs> off the coast of uh, California. And Julie Christie doesn't list it. She had a bit of a tough experience with it. Oh. Um, you know, it was tricky. There was some contract stuff. She actually didn't know she was going to make the movie. Oh. Uh, I had my assistant at the time, uh, Ted Greeley, uh, pick her up in a helicopter, say he was taking her to a premiere, and instead he took her to this oil derrick. And I said, this can go one of two ways. It can be unpleasant or we can make a great flick. Really? And she chose the unpleasant road. So that's why you don't really see it on her credits. Wow. Yeah. You kind of uh, abducted Julie Christie? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no. No, it was a contract uh, dispute we had. Oh, I say Yeah, if I, I can't use the word abducted. Let's say she didn't want to be there. After a while, she realized she couldn't leave. We changed our script. Became more about a woman wanting to leave a place. Uh, initially, it was about uh, an heiress who falls in love with a race car driver. And very quickly, it became about a woman being kept in the old uh, food storage locker at an abandoned oil derrick. Wow. Yeah. Heck uh, of a flick, though. Can Good I flick. see it? Is it available? It's Unfortunately, it's involved in pending litigation. Uh, uh, it's been a court case for about 32 years. Uh, so if uh, you watch it, you have to watch it with a lawyer and you have to be deposed afterwards. But it's a great flick. It's worth it. It's worth getting deposed. 
There's a taste of Adam McKay posing as Alan Marlowe. Brian and I will talk about how that interview came about, how he got into podcasting, and what he does around Hollywood as a part-time actor when he's not part-time acting. That'll be up in just a few moments. Now, I know I said I wouldn't be having clips in this episode. I guess I actually lied, because I just played one there. And uh, what I should say is I'm not featuring clips on the Succotash Chat show, because if I didn't play them at all, then how else would you be able to hear our friends in podcasting, Dean Haglin and Phil Larness of the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, talk about me. So, uh, yes, but this is our 400th show. Imagine that. Think of that. We were just uh, before the break. It wasn't even a break, but it was a break for us. But before the holidays. Yes. We were celebrating the fact that uh, our good friend in podcasting, Mark Hershon. Yay! Had just completed his 100th. 100 Succotash. Episode of Succotash. That is an august occasion. Yes. And, and really, you know, anybody can do 100 episodes. Call us at 400, pal. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> then you'll see some chatter. So congratulations to you, but really more congratulations to us. <laughs> exactly. We're going to sit here and just congratulate ourselves for the next hour. You can catch oh so much more of those guys over on their home site, chillpackhollywood.com, as well as on Blog Talk Radio. Before we get to my interview with Brian Flaherty, let's give a listen to our resident raging moderate, Will Durst, in the first of our two Burst of Durst segments this show. Here's his take on the turmoil in the world around satire. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about satire, the definition of which is to say one thing but intend the opposite. Like Jonathan Swift advocating serving Irish babies for dinner, or the CIA saying, we don't torture anybody, when what they really meant is, yeah, we've been torturing people since way before we assured you that we weren't. Not only that, we've gotten really good at it. You could say the CIA is America's only straight-up satirical organization. We're all thinking of humor these days because of two things. One, the Seth Rogen stoner movie, The Interview, about assassinating the president of North Korea, which you could say sort of upset the president of North Korea. You could also say armadillo snouts making for your shot glasses. North Korea was so upset, they orchestrated a monumental hack of the studio that released the film, doing much damage to the economy and scaring the bejesus out of corporate America. We know this happened because the CIA said it didn't. Additional collateral damage occurred when many Americans were tricked into actually watching the movie. Laugh or the terrorists win. Then, in January, the grisly murders at the offices of Charlie Hebdo, the French satirical magazine, which confuses many Americans. France has satirical magazines. We have NASCAR. It's a trade-off. One problem is, in America, you call yourself a satirist, and everyone thinks that you have goat legs and play a pan flute. Our satirists work mostly on television. Stephen Colbert's old show was satirical. He played an obnoxious, overbearing character that didn't believe a single word he said. Like Sean Hannity, only different. Political humor can be a very dangerous weapon, as evidenced by how it's recently rocked the world. Despots and extremists have the sense of humor of asphalt, with the emphasis on the first syllable. So it is imperative that artists continue to mock and scoff and taunt, and that patriots everywhere support those perpetrating the mockage and scoffsome taunterating, and to do it even after the CIA says we don't need to do it anymore, especially then. For Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst. Will Durst will be back at the far end of my chat with Brian Flaherty with one more burst of Durst. He also has his own website if you want to check that out at willdurst.com. 
So dig out more of his pithyisms over there. Hello, friends. Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? Well, we offer you Henderson Space Pants. Yes, Space Pants. Say it with me. Space Pants. Here's the story behind Henderson Space Pants. A few years ago, the head of Henderson's procurement office heard a rumor from a guy who knew a guy who had a sister who worked in the factory that makes the bolts that hold on the rear tailgates of the heavy-duty utility vehicles that were driven by a man who lived down the street from a woman that knew a mailman who once delivered a registered letter to a man who used to work as a substitute gate sentry at Cape Canaveral. Okay? Well, it seems this fellow had it on good authority that NASA was going to be putting in a huge order for space pants for the astronauts who fly the space shuttles. Based on that hot tip, Henderson's pants started churning out pairs of space pants by the lunar module full. Well, when NASA ended up pulling the plug on the whole shuttle program, plenty of people around Henderson's had freeze-dried egg on their faces. Only then did the fine folks at Henderson's discover the order was to have been for space suits, not space pants. It turns out there is no such thing as space pants. Until now, Henderson's has warehouses full of the suckers and you can wear them into space or anywhere else you care to squeeze into with your vacuum-packed ass. Originally designed for... Well, the NASA astronauts, haven't you been listening? Henderson Space Pants are available wherever mothballed airless flyboys shop. That's Henderson's, makers of fine slacks and merkins since 1457. And now back to Succotash. On the phone, or not on, not on the phone, I still have to get used to not saying that. On Skype, with me live from somewhere in Los Angeles. True. Brian Brian Flaherty. Hi. The host of the new Hollywood podcast. Yes. And welcome to Succotash, Brian. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. Absolutely. Well, it's uh, it's been a treat to uh, discover your show, and we've clipped your show, and I've reviewed your show. So the the last step was to actually have you on the show. No, no. The last step would be if you could just start producing it. That would be super. (laughs) That would be fantastic. I've got a list of people for you to call. (laughs) Now you know why I do clips instead of interviews. Yeah, that's true. That is a good way. That's a really smart way to do it. You don't really need anybody, right? That's right. Just my faithful companion, Tyson Saner, up in uh, the Washington area, who does a lot of my clipping for me because I'm too busy even to do that. Yeah, I mean, do you pull him out of a burning building, or do you catch him with his pants down, or something? Like, I, he's he's a podcast aficionado, and he just one day sort of stepped up and said, "Hey, I can help you with this." And I said, "Go to it, lad. Go to it." If it were up to me, like I would do nothing except sit down, talk to somebody for an hour and ten minutes, and then like receive all the praise. <laughs> I can't stand any of the other stuff. I'm, ter- I'm not very good at it. Even the intros for my podcast are like really – they're either painful and <laughs> decent or just terrible. And I just say screw it and just throw them up. Well, the thing that, the thing that kind of got me into it – I mean I've always been a little bit of a geek about t- technology. But I have uh, my engineer producer who's a guy I worked in radio with over 30 years ago. Uh, and he has his home studio nearby. And the first probably 20 episodes of this podcast, he would produce them. I'd sit in his studio and I'd talk into a microphone and I'd give him all the clips and then he would make it all come together. And amazing. Was, I want one of those. Yeah, it was fantastic. But I was kind of beholden to his schedule. 
Uh, yeah, I and, get it. And so he kind of taught me, you know, how to how to do what I need to do to put the episodes together. And he still helps me out from time to time. But uh, that that's really put me on the right road. And that's funny. I had one of those too. This kid, I went into I went into a Guitar Center, and this kid was helping me. And you know, they make commissions in Guitar Center, so he was just like loading me up with all this stuff. And I was like. <laughs> By the way, and then finally he goes, you know, you don't have to buy this. I'll just, you can just hire me and use my stuff. And I was like, sweet. Nice. What happened to that kid? Uh, he, all he does now, it, the same exact thing happened to me. I had my first interview scheduled and it was a bitch to get it scheduled. Cause I'm like doing, you know, I'm trying to guide, you know, men and women with like Oscar on their shelves and shit yeah. and this guy was like yeah i don't know if my boss at, at guitar center is gonna let me out until 12 30 like never mind i'll figure it out you know, <laughs> but he he does like the level the equalizing for me right like yeah. so he goes in and and makes because i record with two mics on two tracks and he sort of mixes it although he says it's not what it's called but i look at it like he mixes it together and he makes a sound of the same level. Usually I sound great and the guest sounds like they're in the next room. You know? <laughs> well, I have various setups for what I'm doing. You, you asked uh, earlier what I'm using right now. Yeah. Um, and when I do a live interview like this via Skype, I use um, Audio Hijack Pro. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's the one that I... I and I used to have a lot of uh, trouble with slapback from it. I would, I could not do an interview without kind of hearing a weird echo. And although it, the the person I was talking to couldn't hear the echo, and it never came out on the on the actual recording, I, it made it sound like I was drunk. Oh, I, I, I kept trying to wait. Maybe I was drunk, but I, I kept waiting for the lag to you know end so I could ask the next question. So there's all these weird stuttery silences and things like that but that's that, why i've been really interested in finding a good one because there's so many people like you know in new york and i just i keep imagining going to new york and then what like carrying my mic stands through the airport or mm -hmm. like what and well here i'll tell you what i do when i'm on the road i have a whole i have a whole different setup and it's all carried in this little plushy um, motorcycle helmet bag oh wow uh and what i do is i got these uh, I do two things. One is I use a little tiny zoom recorder, one of those zoom recorders with the stereo speakers or yep. the stereo microphones. Yeah. And that thing's pretty good. Um, and then as I use that as backup and the, the other thing I use, I've got these little tiny microphones I got from, um, what is it called? The company is called, hold on a second. I've got their mixer here, the iRig. Um, mm -hmm. It's the little iRig chat. And it's just a little tiny microphone that plugs directly into the, my phone, and then I have one for my iPad. Oh, and oh, really? So that's your mic. So I, I put those two up. I have stands for both of them, and they're just like uh, iRig sends you a little stand that can hold the phone, and then I just use a standard iPad stand for the iPad. And they've got their own um, recording app for those microphones, and I just hit record on both of them, and then. The, the challenge then is just mixing the two tracks down in GarageBand later on. Oh, so you don't even use your laptop. You use the Zoom. I thought you used the Zoom as an interface, but no. that's, that's your – That's yeah. your. Um... That's just a backup in case, oh, wow. the, in case something happens with the iPhone or the, or the iPad because sometimes something strange will happen. 
And then do you sync? How do you sync them? Or uh, you I, just, I just sync in the beginning? Yeah, I just, well, the, the problem is it's really weird because I, I, I come from a background in radio a long time ago where, you know, tape would stretch and do weird things. But with mm-hmm. these two digital sources, I assumed that they would be right in sync with each other once you sync the start of it up. Yeah. But it's weird because they don't. There's a weird kind of lag thing that happens. And so about every 15 minutes, I have to go in and make a tiny readjustment so you don't start getting an echo. Oh, right. So if you were to do some sort of clapboard like they do in movies, yeah, which and they- you could sync them perfectly you would still need to go in and tweak every yeah. 15 minutes. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm excited because I'm on a beta list for a, a new app that's coming out. The, this woman emailed me. <clears throat> um, I think I mentioned her in the last podcast, but I can't remember it offhand now. But they're about to send me the beta version of this. And supposedly, you'll be able to do quality interviews right from your iPhone, or I guess Android too, but I have an iPhone. Really? Um, and so far, I've been able to, I've not been able to find a decent app that records directly off the iPhone in a call that you can actually do a call with. Right. So you use this, you use Skype and the thing that you said you use is just an app, right? There's no hardware involved right now. You're That's recording true. me all on your Mac. I'm using that, and, and then I have a microphone on my end just because to because I think the the Mac <laughs> microphone just isn't that good. So I'm using a uh, a Meteor mic from Samson. Wait, but how come you're not being recorded into Skype like I am? What's 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 we're, recording we're, my voice Skype? Right? Sky, uh, well, no, uh, Audio Hijack Pro is recording right. both of us. Yeah, it is right. So then, but you're doubling up yours. Yeah, mine's well. Mine's going directly into the Mac. My my, right. my mic is going directly into the Mac, so it's just like I'm on the Skype call with my my regular microphone. Oh, that's interesting. That's cool. Look, you know, I didn't think what we're doing now was even possible. Meaning, I've been reluctant to do it this way because I like to have a, a lot of back and forth, you know, or just mm-hmm. not not like step all over each other. It's like when I talk to my mom, I you know, neither <laughs> of us can not talk at the same time if we don't if we tried. Yeah. And, and I just assumed that's how that's how it would go, but this is working pretty good. I keep stepping on you and you, you know, graciously be quiet and let's just keep going like that. <laughs> well, part of it is for me, starting out was the radio background thing, but uh, and I don't know if you have any sort of radio background or anything like that, but how many episodes of your podcasts uh, have you done so far? Like 20, no, like 15. So you're already getting into a groove where that give and take that you normally have when you're face-to-face with somebody, you'll start picking it up just like we're doing here. Um, and it really is just listening for the cues. You can hear somebody take a breath or something, so you kind of back off, and it's yeah. it becomes kind of second nature. Yeah, it's true. I thought seeing them would be important, but it's it boils down to like if if I can get them to wear headphones, and most of them don't want to, um, then you get this much better cadence, or you know, get this better rhythm with the, with the guests because you can hear so much more specifically. Yeah. When you don't, especially when I get like older guys, and my show has a lot of older guys, they'll they'll say some story, and I'll say like, "Oh, you mean this?" and they'll go, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> so it couldn't get a whole lot worse on Skype. I don't know. Well, let's talk. I, I want to find out more about you, but let's talk about uh, the new Hollywood podcast first of all, um, because I, it, it's fascinating to me because I've spent a lot of time in L.A. I've done a lot of screenwriting, um, and, and that world is—I mean—it's fascinating. I think to anybody, but particularly if you've been immersed in it, there's just something that's—I um, don't know—it's just really fascinating to me. 
And how did you, uh, why'd you come up with the, the idea in the first place to, to interview people that are, I mean, you have a very specific slant on your show. Why don't you talk about that first? Sure. I mean, I'm widening it because it is a, it is a limited pool. You know, I can only, I have a list and I could, I could go, um, to like first ADs or, you know, script supervisors who are on Chinatown, you know, and those would, some of those would be great. I'm sure. But ultimately, my list is limited in that, you know, Faye Dunaway is just not going to call me back. So, you know, Man. it's not going to happen. <laughs> so, like, I did Adam McKay that you were nice enough to write about. And that was because I knew that I love these these older men and women who made these movies that I love from the 70s. But, you know, I can't tell you how, you know, four or five of them died in yeah. between, you know, while wow. I'm trying to get them on the show. Because oh one guy I keep checking in on just to see if he's okay. <laughs> Um, so I'm opening it up like I'm going to do Jay Duplass in a couple weeks. And, and all my only criteria is like people that just do things a little differently, that kind of did it their own way. And that, you know, frankly, are things that I find interesting and that I think might have an interesting story. Jay Duplass is great because, you know, he's, this, he's part of the Duplass brothers, the directors. You know, and now he's an actor. And I find it, here's the angle for me. His brother has been on television and movies for the last five years and I'm sort of friends with them and I've always thought like God he, Jay must get so pissed that Mark's constantly on TV and he has to be <laughs> just the silent director behind the scenes and now he's on that show Transparent and he's awesome like yeah. it's a tour de force yeah. of acting and so to me like that's a no brainer he doesn't have to have made a movie in the 70s to me like that that's a good enough story you know right. I'm not going to do um, look I would do you know Vin Diesel if I could just because that'd be cool but it doesn't really fit my agenda so it really started with people from the 70s and that really just came about because I love that movie he's a writer raging bolts okay and I said movie I meant book I read the book and then I watched the movie and then I read the book again <laughs> the whole thing started uh, a couple years ago I just you know I'm an actor and I go out for auditions and you really need a hobby because if you if you sit around waiting for you know callbacks and things like that, you go crazy. Yeah. So I needed another creative outlet, and I, mean, I tried open mics, and that was some painful shit. <laughs> and um, you know, I did improv. I know you come from the improv world, and yeah. I enjoyed that. But it's kind of a young man's game, and I needed something that was sort of contained, something that I could do at my own pace that was creatively fulfilling for me and that didn't cost a ton of money. But unfortunately, the first version I had, I was, I'm obsessed with character actors, certainly from the 40s and 50s more than anything. But, you know, just, you know, people from today, I just, I just love seeing people. And I don't have to know their – I'm not Patton Oswalt. I don't know everybody's name. Right. But I just like seeing people and like, oh, I know that person. I, you know, I've seen that person on the commercial. And the fact that I'm an actor, it's just sort of, you know, I get into it and I like their stories. Oh, yeah. So I start – I started with doing this thing about character actors, and I, but but I again I had this false idea in my head that if you couldn't see them, then it didn't it wasn't as good because you'd spend the whole time you know trying to figure out who it was trying to figure out who they were like you couldn't just click a link or I don't know or just like if I said go Google Larry Henkin you could do that and figure out who it is in two right. seconds <laughs> but I had it in my I you know I just had it in my craw that yeah I had to do it. So I started sort of producing or planning this um, character actor thing. I made a great list, and I found this cheap studio, and then I learned, like, cameras, and I think that was kind of the end of it. I think when the guy said, so what are you thinking about craft services? I was like, never mind. I'm just going to do a podcast. <laughs> I screwed up. 
um, yeah, this I, really this really is a medium that lends itself to. I just need to put this thing together myself, and yeah. and I, I I've told this story before that when I first you know put this episode up on on iTunes, I I mean I was ready to kill myself. I just I would I'm at a point in my life where I I'm still very sort of I consider myself to be fairly tech savvy, but I was kind of at the limit of what my brain would take in, and I'm reading these instructions about how to post in RSS feeds and all these things, and I'm going, oh. oh my god, I'm not going to be able to do this but i finally managed to figure it out i had a failed podcast with your friend alex enriquez we called it popcorn friday oh no kidding and it was just me him and our friend alex sanger coming talking on friday or on like a, i don't know what i called it popcorn friday i think we did it on monday it was like what'd you do this weekend it was a, the most non-important podcast ever but i could not figure out it was before i discovered libsyn and uh, I used some other one. Yeah. And the feed itself, I couldn't agree with you more. I was sort of like, I'm sorry, I'm not an astrophysicist. This ain't going to happen. Yeah, Libsyn makes it a hell of a lot easier. Oh, man. Sure. But, like, just learning GarageBand for me was a pretty big learning curve. Um, I'm, I'm pretty tech-savvy, too. I have a day job in the Internet, but that doesn't mean squat when you're, <laughs> you know. I had a Google Hangout with my friend Dan Cray from Boston, and he's looking at you. I'm sharing my screen with him on while well, he's like, click that button, unclick it, and I click it twice. <laughs> That's how we figured out how to record. That's funny. Now, I didn't know that you knew Alex Enriquez. Yeah, yeah. He's the first person that put us together. Oh, went, okay. Yeah. That's, I dropped his name. That's right. That's right. That's fantastic. I, and the I, reason I did is because it was one of those things. Was, he's like, how's the podcast? I'm like, it's great, except I feel like I'm in a total vacuum, and there's, you know, four people in, in you know, Chicago, and that's it. And he goes, yeah, I know how it is. Reach out to uh, to Mark. He, he, he's he got this thing called Succotash, and once I learned about your thing, I loved it, and I thought, and that's when you did Stacy Keach for me. Oh, right, right. Yeah, he's, uh, he, that was a great show, too. Uh, and, and what a, what a treat that's got to be for you to be able to sit with these guys for yeah. how, for however long they'll give you, and uh, just kind of listen to them talk and, and delve into their stories with them. When it's someone like Stacy Keach or Adam McKay or a few other of these guys that are not just like got great stories but are good listeners. Not that I need to talk, but just that they don't just go down the rabbit hole. Some guys do, and that's fine. And I'll I'll. I'm getting better at coaching them out of it. You know, some guys will just tell a 45 minute story or whatever. But when you're Stacy, when you're sitting with Stacy Keach, who you know, I love Stacy Keach. I, I know a lot of his movies. And oh man, the um, the the New Centurions is playing at Quentin Tarantino's theater tonight and tomorrow. I <laughs> oh, gotta wow. go. That's great. And now I gotta go tomorrow. Um, yeah. So when you're some when it's someone like him that gives you a lot of detail but doesn't uh take that long to do it and then goes like next you're like oh this is a pleasure my wife listened to that one and said man you were firing on all pistons and i was like nope that's him that's just him yeah you know i think these guys do enough um of these press junkets and stuff and they you know they know how to do interviews they know how to the thing i love about people like stacy keach and whatnot they're they've been in the business long enough they know how to talk in sound bites yeah, it's funny. You get like I had these a uh, couple other guys that um, the worst thing you can do with people um, who I don't know are sort of famous but not super famous is like Google them the night before because you if you watch like I watch this guy Michael Phillips you know he produced Taxi Driver and mm-hmm. you know Close Encounters and his wife was Julia Phillips and she wrote this amazing Hollywood tell all mm-hmm. and the night before I dumb you got to do your research like. For me, I find 
like so I put like you know poles in the sand. I want to start here. I want to go here, 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 and here. And I'm going to end here, and then you try and make it as free form in between as you can, or as much of the conversation. But I watched like you know this interview with him on YouTube, and he's sort of hitting his talking points. And I was like, oh shit! I hope he doesn't do that with me. And when he did, almost on cue. I started to go up a little bit, you know, I was like, ah, oh, damn it. We've all heard this one before, <laughs> but all you can do is just sort of like jump in there and be like, why, how so? And then you get the good stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the good things about having an improv background is just the, you know, the, the art of these sort of conversations where they do have places they want to get to. Um, but then you just sort of try and, find if you're really listening you can find these little chinks in the armor where you can go well tell me a little bit more about that story. totally right? totally it's funny like joe dante last week said told me that he had polio and i'm like ask him about polio ask him about polio <laughs> but then he was sort of a, a blend of the two because he talked a lot but his stuff was gold so i wasn't going to get in the way at all nice i just knew that he was just spinning awesome stuff like it was a little talking points ish but it was all like, oh, this is I couldn't ask for. It. Like these are all sound bites. I got I got tired of doing. I was I was doing like blurbs and putting them on SoundCloud and then embedding them into my Facebook page. Uh-huh. But they never took off the way I thought they would. I'd get like thirty hits or sometimes five, and I'd be depressed and I wouldn't. I'd say, screw it, it's not worth it anymore. Yeah, I I learned early on just to stop paying attention to all that stuff. Oh, seriously? I have no yeah. idea how many times like this show gets downloaded. I don't have oh, interesting. Not, a, not a clue. I just Oh, dude, I look 6 times a day every day. No, can't do it because I can't make heads or tails out of most of it and it's just the, the the figures I do that I have seen, I go, that doesn't seem good to me. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, that's, that's cute. But we've got. I mean, this show has a lot of loyal listeners, which is great. I hear from them all the time, and yeah, that's cool. What's the zipper pull? I want one of those. What is I'll, it? I'll send you one. It's just is it a, a hoodie. No, it's just a little thing that hangs onto a zipper, and you, you pull your zipper oh, with it. Oh, I was gonna say this guy's giving away hoodies. Yeah, no, no, it's just a little thing. It's a, uh, it's a well, little, little round thing with the Succotash logo on it. So I'll send you one. Just uh, shoot me your uh, your snail mail address, and I'll pop one in the mail. I will. Thank you. Um, what is uh, has doing the podcast that you're doing now? Has it changed anything in terms of the rest of your kind of existence in Hollywood? I mean, do people know you? Do they hear? Have they heard your name? Anything like that? Uh, no, more friends. I, you know, the the Adam McKay thing was big for me. You know, in no small part thanks to you and the. HuffPo and the side, Split Cider, and I got a thing on the Dissolve. I don't know if you saw yeah, that. Yeah, that I saw good. that. That's great. great. Yeah, so, you know, um, that was good as far as just upping my listenership. And just, you know, my friends got to all sort of, you know, pat me on the back a little bit for, you know, um, having a semi-popular episode that was, you know, did, did something on the Internet. But no, like, I don't know if, I mean, this isn't, I doubt I'm going to be, it's going to be a Mark Marin thing where I get a show on IFC out of it. <laughs> um, or I don't know, whatever Mark Marin's been able to get from his podcast. I don't know if that would uh, happen for me. It would be awesome if it did. 
I know that there are like podcasts all about casting directors and you just, you listen to them and you're like, dude, they're not going to call you in just because you put them on your shitty podcast, you know, like <laughs> certainly not going to book anything, you know, I never, I guess writers are doing it now. And, uh, I don't, I, I, I don't, I, I'm not match mixing the two at all. Cause I don't really do a thing. I'm not, you know, I don't, yeah. uh, I'm more of a Terry Gross guy than a Mark Maron guy. I'm much yeah. more interested in that. Yeah, I I mean, you don't you don't spend a lot of time talking. Same with me, by the way, um, on my show. Uh, like you, I don't really talk about myself all that much. I've got an intro to the show, and I'll say a couple things here and there. But it's not about my personality. It's really showcasing the clips more than anything, or the interview, if that's what I'm doing on a particular show. Yeah, the first one I heard, the first show of yours, I heard part of it was you um, at a live podcast. You were one of the guests, so that was fun. So I got to get your personality right away. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then I occasionally, when I'm driving to or from L.A., will do a, what I call my half-isode, where I just I just record in the car. And, yeah, it's fun. And uh, the last one I did, I was actually driving down to the podcast festival in September, and uh, Rick Overton called me while I was recording, and so I just put him on as my special guest. That's awesome. And that, I, I love that. It actually sounded pretty decent. Uh, regardless of the road noise, which I was able to filter some of it out. But. It, it's like what you wrote about my McKay interview, which is that the podcasting format can be really special sometimes, and it doesn't take a lot. You know, I mean, right. you were just you were just driving, and you put your phone on speaker, and you hear you have this sort of magic <laughs> moment in time, which is super cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's just one of those things, and and that's what I love about podcasting. Um, is because as far as I can tell, like I said in that in that piece, uh, it it's really kind of the only medium like this. I mean, if you compare it to TV or radio or movies where you can really, truly be spontaneous and do something that's completely out of the norm for what you might do. And it doesn't it's it's just another thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. With McKay, it was like if you heard if anyone heard the, the Alan Marlowe episode I knew McKay had said yes, and I had. Have you ever seen Bob Odenkirk do Robert Evans? Yes. Yeah. So you know, like how genius that is. Yeah. Uh, is it, but that was Mr. Show, right? He yes. did that on Mr. That's, Show. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I saw that like in my late twenties, and me and my friends quoted it for years. It's Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> <laughs> did he make the pass? Oh yeah, Terry's just that good. <laughs> like it's just so genius, and I thought, like, my God. I've I've got like the Michael Jordan of improv. I've got the mics are already set up. What if I just and I and I pitched it to him and, and just over an email and he was like, Yeah, sounds great. And then when I got there, I had to remind him again completely because he was like, What are you talking about? You know? Oh, he's funny, yeah. But he had done something like that where on the DVD commentary of I think Anchorman two, or maybe it's the original, I'm not sure where he pretended to be like the eighth executive producer on the movie and he sits down with Will and Will's like, I'm sorry, who are you? <laughs> and so he sort of just changed that to a 70s guy or whatever. But I was just like, I, I knew, like, I'm like, I've got Michael Jordan. I'm carrying a basketball. I'm walking by a basketball court. I'm not going to have him play for five minutes, you know? <laughs> and it was just so goddamn fun. Because I didn't do anything. I came up with his name, Alan Marlowe, which is my sort of character name if I do a little web shorts or whatever. Or anything I do, I try and name my character or a character involved Alan Marlowe. Sure, and it ha also happens to be his initials, which is funny. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs>
and uh, and and then I and then I came up with three you know seventies movie titles. I remember I sat exactly where I'm sitting right now with my laptop in my lap, and I came up with three movie titles, and I just laid them out to him, and he was like, "Oh." Oh, I almost cried when you said that. <laughs> so amazing. And I'm just watching. And, like, if you listen to the episode, you can hear me guffaw, like, yeah. three times. I'm like. <laughs> yeah, no, it was right. great. It was a great little piece. Uh, which was but I can't do it again. I might get Bill Hader, and I can't ask him to do it. I don't know. It just seems like. Well, you can do it. You know, do a different gimmick. Do I think I'll do it. I got to think of something fresh, something different. Yeah, uh, but that was cool. So, so you know, we had talked before. You you kind of broke the piece out and did the separate dropping of that little half, you know, fifteen minute episode. Well, so how how did that end up working out in terms? So of, good. You, know, you were so instrumental in helping me get through that. I asked exactly three people what they thought, and they all gave me different answers. Hmm. Uh, similar. But um, not exactly, and yours was more or less the one that I did, and I had never thought of it that way, which was tease the McKay one uh, in the Alamaro. Do two right. in the same week, right? And, which I've never done, and do them close together because I was always like, oh, what if I do this? I want it to be cool and not tell anyone, but I don't want the world to miss it. How do I do that? And the trick is to just do it, wait two days, and then tell everybody. Yes. So have your fun, but, you know, make you sure you don't miss it. Yeah, and the people that did miss it, they can go back. Again, the beauty of this medium is they can go back and get it. Exactly, so. exactly. So it worked out great. Um, I had two days where I just sent it to all my friends, and, like, I was literally – just cut, paste, send, cut, paste, send. I'm like, haven't talked to him in four years? Cut, paste, send, you know? <laughs> People are like, who this? You know? <laughs> That's I'm funny. sorry, have we met? I'm like, just listen to it. You're not going to believe it. That's funny. Now, in the tone of, of your show, have you had a chance to um, listen to Matt Gorley's I Was There Too? On the, no, what's on that? The Wolf, that well, it's part of the new Wolf Pop Network that was a spinoff of uh, the Airwolf, uh, Earwolf. Network. Oh, okay. So Earwolf has another network now? Got, Yeah, that Paul Shear is basically sort of heading up. And mm. uh, they've got – it's not so much all comedy. It's uh, more sort of pop culture stuff. Yeah. Um, and Matt Gorley, from, who's you know part of the Super Ego podcast, has started doing this show called I Was There Too, where he, he finds some either bit player or a known actor who had like one scene – in a fame in a movie, like a famous scene in a movie, mm. uh, like he had uh, Paul F. Tompkins had a scene with Daniel Day Lewis in There Will Be Blood, mm-hmm. and so he just has Paul F. on the show talking all about the scene and what it was like t- to work with uh, with him. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. They had the the woman who was had the baby carriage in The Untouchables. Oh my god! And the scene in the train station, he somehow found her. And he gets what twenty thirty minutes out of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in the I'm in the phase where I hate every other podcast except Succotash. Ah, <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> and not because they're not good. I'm just totally jealous. Like that guy just pisses me off now. And <laughs> fuck them. It's so raw. It's so ridiculous. Like, yeah, that sounds awesome. That sounds really fun. 
Um, but um, in a way, it's sort of similar to yours, except you're, I think you're getting meatier stuff because his really are just a guy who had a day on the set. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's amazing how um, my, all my people are famous in their own right, but most of them no one knows. It's mm. You know, there's just people that, and famous is a sort of ridiculous word, but, yeah. you know, that accomplished at least. Yes. Uh, but, you know, it's amazing. Just people, everybody, people forget who people are. I'd like the the sands of time roll on and all of a sudden you were hot shit in 79 and come 2015, you're just the old guy. <laughs> and I think there's something, you know, it's fine. It's, it's how it is. But these, these, a lot of these guys that I spoke to, there's this guy, Michael Gruskoff. I've got such a dude crush on this guy. Like he just blew me away. Hmm. He's this New York guy. He's got a gruff voice. He, he told this Mel Brooks story. You know, he's friends with Mel Brooks. He has, he has lunch with Mel Brooks every Friday, and he might happen to mention to me the name of the restaurant. It's in Beverly Hills. Oh, okay. Beverly Hills. And you know I was there the next Friday, like, across the street, like, going, he's there, he's there, he's there. <laughs> but he just has all these great stories, and he produced, you know, uh, Young Frankenstein, and he also produced The Quest for Fire and uh, uh, Warner Herzog, um, you know, Nosferatu, and my favorite year, you know, and like all this great shit. And he's just like the coolest dude in the world. No one's fucking heard of this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And well, his stories are great. Uh, my, my connection to sort of seventies Hollywood is uh, most of my personal connection is wrapped up with the fact that I wrote several movies for the Hallmark channel. Oh, wow. And the Hallmark channel tends to cast people that have sort of faded into obscurity for the mm -hmm. most part. Mm -hmm. uh, so like I did a Halloween movie that uh, featured George Kennedy as this washed up director of 50s monster movies. I'm, and, I'm trying so hard to get George Kennedy. I can't tell you. You know that character actor thing? Yes. I mean, he, did, he doesn't really count because he was kind of more of a star than, than yeah. the character actor. But he was the first name I came up with. I've been talking to his manager for a year and a half. Really? I love George Kennedy. George Kennedy's amazing. Well, that's what I, you know, and so there I was. The uh, One of the good things about these movies was I was on the set every day. Uh, and so I was sitting there in a chair next to George Kennedy, just talking, listening to him tell stories. I wasn't doing much talking. Um, and that Linda, is Linda, exactly the, sorry to interrupt, that is exactly the vibe I'm going for. That's all I want the podcast to be. If you were lucky enough to go to some dinner with some famous person who has all these amazing stories and you got to sit next to them and they told you these amazing stories and you keep them with you forever and you retell them to your friends and your friends at work. That's all the podcast is that if, if it does that for one person, then it's, then it's a success. Oh, I know. I mean, I was, this was years ago. I was living in LA and uh, I was at a dinner and Dabney Coleman was at this dinner Genius. and it was me at this table with my date and Dabney Coleman. And I think George Allen, the guy who was the, the, manager of the Redskins or something. I don't oh, yeah. know much about football, but for anyway, so it was like just six of us at this table in Westwood. And Dabney Coleman asked if I want to go play pool at his house after dinner. Oh my God. So of course you said yes. Yeah. So there's three of us playing pool and the whole night he's calling me Steve. <laughs> and I, I just, I never said anything. I go, I'm just with Dabney Coleman. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And at the night I'm Steve. And at the very end of the night, I'm shaking his hand. He says, now, your name isn't really Steve, is it? Oh, my God. And I said, Jesus. no, but I just felt I just didn't want to correct you. Oh, <laughs> I, my God. I said, I'll never see you again. <laughs> it certainly helps when they're, like, good good people, too, you know? And yeah. Some, he was. Sounds like George Kennedy was, like, normal people. It, yeah. it certainly helps, like, when they're, 
you know, nice and friendly. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'd like to play pool with Dad and Coleman. That sounds amazing. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Um, yeah, this uh, this this woman I was dating at the time was renting Cleavon Little's townhouse in Sherman Oaks. Oh my god, dude! And one day I come over and he's he's sitting in the living room playing um, Mar- Super Mario Brothers on a Nintendo machine. I I go, oh, sorry. He says, no, no, that's cool. I just I wasn't expecting to be in town, but I just stopped by to see. Uh, see my daughter so i thought i'd just stop oh in. so he was home cleavon little was home yeah for that day cleavon little is the guy in blazing town yeah, yeah yeah and so there i am i'm playing super mario brothers with cleavon little <laughs> <laughs> dude that is what living in la is like if when you're young and you go out and stuff like that i remember i oh yeah I had a friend who was an Asian assistant and uh, we were going to go out drinking or whatever. And he's like, gave me an address. He's like, come over. I'm, I'm house sitting uh, for a client. And I was like, this house is amazing. Whose house is this? And he's like, Stephen Toblowski. Like, yes. <laughs> Ned. <laughs> Ryerson. Ned Ryerson. Absolutely. Oh, funny. That's LA. Yeah. That's if you work even, even close on the fringe of the, of the business, which I used to and don't anymore. Which I'm very happy not to. Oh, okay. But you still go out for for acting stuff. Yeah, yeah. I um, I had a big day today, yesterday, and today. I, yesterday I went out for Hot in Cleveland, which I felt really good about, but oh, nothing yeah. happened. Oh well. Okay. Today I went out for Mindy, and the cat, all the all the casting uh, women started like turning on each other. It got really weird. <laughs> um, and there was only men there, older white guys auditioning, and we were all looking at each other like, "Oh Jesus, <laughs> let's just go wait in the car until they figured this out." <laughs> That's and then I went in for the middle, and I got a call back on the middle, so I go back tomorrow. It's, hey, you know, four yeah. lines. That's okay. Yeah, I'd be psyched to get it. I'd be very psyched. But that's the thing. You can't you can't think about getting it, ever. you got to just go in, have fun, do your work right then and there, and go home. And then it helps if you, you know, have a podcast or something else that you, you're like, oh, shit, I'm going to get something done. And it sounds like you have a, a day gig that keeps you, uh, like you said, you're not you're not sort of working at the edges of the industry, kind of you know biting your nails, hoping something happens. No, that's nowhere, man. I couldn't do that if I tried. Yeah, I have my own company, and um, I do websites for you know um, mostly for a very popular daytime, um, let's say, physician talk show host. Is that enough for you? <laughs> Uh, you know, I, uh, one of the things that actually my, my normal straight gig is, uh, uh, branding. Yeah. I think we do a lot of the same stuff. I, I say branding a lot. I don't do that much of it, but I talk about it. And, uh, I actually, uh, I actually, uh, a number of years ago created a title for a book of a popular daytime TV physician talk show host. Okay. I think we're talking the same person. Yeah, we probably are, but I'm not going down on that ship. If for some reason he's a big Succotash fan, <laughs> all, all I will say is that that daytime talk show physician has been very good to me. That's good. Yes. And I love him. Don't want to rock that boat. <laughs> no, not at all. I didn't actually get on the boat, so. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. I'm, I'm still, I'm on the pier. But yeah, it's true. I, uh. I, I and I and I can afford myself the time to go. I, I I went and saw my old boss today, and he's like, "How's it going?" I'm like, "Tell you the truth, January's slow." 
And he said, do you want me to think of you for stuff? And I was like, nope. <laughs> because I, I know for a fact if you're like, oh, this thing came in, you want to do it? And okay, sure. All right, we need you here at a, Monday at 1130. Oh, I have an audition Monday at 1130. Yeah. Or... Peter Bogdanovich finally called me back. <laughs> do it Monday at eleven thirty. So of let's not go there. Yeah. yeah. So where are you originally from? I grew up in Quincy, Massachusetts. Huh. Yeah. Quincy, it's Massachusetts. A suburb um, south South Shore. I don't know if you know South Shore rules. Um, and I, I only know it because my my father was actually born in Boston, but I've never spent any time there. Yeah, the city of uh, the city uh, actually. Uh, what town was it? It wasn't actually in the city. It was real close by. Yeah. Uh, that's the nature of Massachusetts. Brookline? Does that sound Yeah, sure. Brookline. Yeah. Conan's from Brookline. Okay. Uh, yeah. Someone uh, else good is from Brookline. Well, oh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are both from Brookline. And also, at least by his uh, high, old high school yearbook, uh, um, Burt Backrack is from Brookline. There you go. I didn't know that. Yeah. So my dad was a, a dyed-in-the-wool Red Sox fan. Oh wow, yeah, me too. Me too. I took I took my first year off after like thirty games this year. <laughs> I, just, I, I just don't have it in me to go down this dark, dark road. Yeah. So what uh, what guided your your trail from uh, from the Boston area to Los Angeles? Like a like a zigzag, man. I went from Boston to New York, which is a natural progression. Um, right when I graduated college, I went to school out in Western Mass, Fitchburg State, mm. uh, which is now Fitchburg University or Fitchburg State University. But um, I went right to New York via New Jersey, and but all my friends from school went to Austin, and so I'd have to get up and you know at like six thirty to get on a bus to go to my suit and you know shirt, the shirt and tie job, and um, they'd be calling me at like three in the morning from Austin like this is awesome get down here <laughs> so I lived in Austin for a couple of years and then I uh, literally couldn't take the heat it's just you know summer lasts six months down there and it's brutal yeah. and it, I was in my 20s and broke all the time so I didn't have AC or a nice car or anything like that so I just finally couldn't take it and I moved to um, Chapel Hill North Carolina I opened a record store if you watch High Fidelity it's like the Brian Flaherty biography <laughs> I play all characters. Certainly the Jack Black character. Not not in the, you know, zaniness, just in the pure hatred of the customer, right? <laughs> Lived and breathed that every day. I kicked Michael Stipe out of my store, I was wow. proud to say. Wow. Told me to get the fuck out. What brought that on? He was smoking a cigarette. And, uh, you know, 20 minutes after I did it, I was like, oh, shit, I should have just given him an ashtray. What was I doing? <laughs> but I had such a chip on my shoulder, and I was like, you can't smoke in here. And he he's like the devil, you know. He's truly <laughs> evil. I think one of the omens is about him <laughs> that's funny and i lived in i lived and worked in chapel hill for a while and then i think someone someone brought one of the the first cd burner i ever saw it looked like a like a desktop computer and and like this guy's like hey give me that cd you know it's like 12.99 right hang on a second and he made a copy and he goes i'll just keep this oh boy and i was like okay <laughs> By then, I was reading Weekly Variety and, you know, all the Hollywood books I could get my hands on, Peter Bart and, you know, yeah. all those Kim Masters books and stuff like that. And I just had I just had the allure. When I lived in Austin, I worked for Richard Linklater for like two years. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, he never liked me, but it was fun <laughs> to work there. 
don't blame him. I don't, you know, I probably wouldn't like me either. I was like 22 or 23 and thought I was hot shit, I guess. So, <laughs> but, so, uh, so yeah. where did you have, where did you, uh, since you go out for roles and whatnot, were you acting in school? No, dude, the acting came at like 37. Okay. I used to, you say you wrote Hallmark movies. I'm surprised I didn't represent you because I was a lit manager for a lot of years. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah. And I had a lot of MOW guys or, you know, sort of uh, basic cable guys. Not a lot, just, you know, a handful. I never had a, a, a client list of any kind. Um, I was always trying to, you know, find some, you know, diamond in the rough or, you know, work with someone who was sort of past their prime. It's just a tough racket. I didn't last very long at it. But I knew enough that I didn't want to be an actor. Like I, saw, I saw that side and was like, screw that. I really should have been a, a, a talent manager. I would have been good at that. Oh, I then I'd go see comedy. I'd go see improv. I'd be like, you're talented. Spot them, you know, and just learn that world. But I, I don't know why I didn't pursue it. I always wanted to be the artist. I guess just foolish. <laughs> Not so but foolish. You know what it was, dude? I took an improv class. I worked in the internet, right? Yeah. And and everybody, my the 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 mother company was based in Chicago, and they all got to go to Chicago except me. I like I just didn't make the cut, and I was so pissed. And they came back, and they're like, "Yeah, we went out to dinner, we got drinks, and we did this." Second City came to the office and did this whole improv thing. And I was like, well, screw that. I want to do that. And somebody said, you could probably take an improv class and the company would pay for it because that, you know, consists of class. You know, yeah. they pay for your night school. So I did. I went to uh, Improv Olympic West, you know, 101, Scott Robinson. I sat down. And I remember thinking, like, I'm just going to sit and watch for a while. And he goes, everybody up. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I did improv, you know, for a couple of years, all just classes, not like, not like people, you know, I, I tried to start an indie team. It was a disaster. <laughs> I'm like 37 at the time, you know, I'm like, I got to drive my kid to school. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait till midnight to play in front of two idiots. I got to go to bed. Um, but that got me the as you probably know, all you really need is like one introductory improv class to start going out, to start submitting yourself for non-union, terrible commercials and <laughs> sure. student films. Absolutely. And it's just like one begets the next and that's all it took. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, um, I don't know how long you, you pursued the, the class. It sounded like a couple of years or something. What? Yeah, it was IO and UCB. I went through them both. I did the first level of Groundlink. They didn't graduate me. I plotted their demise. I came close to burning the building down, but the <laughs> prevailed. Um, but I've always maintained it's a, it's a great skill set to have, kind of, kind of for any business. In fact, I'm working on a, on a book dealing with uh, sort of the improv precepts in business and how to use them to your advantage. Right. You do that, right? You go to corporations and companies. And, I do, and, yeah. And yeah actually, that's cool. I love it. Yeah, the the – the job I just started, they, one of the reasons I decided to go with them was they asked if I would teach improv to the, to the other employees. What do you do otherwise? Do you do, are you, do you do design or are you more of a writer when it comes to branding? Uh, I, I create names as my main. Oh, strength. you're a namer. Yeah. 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 Although now, now I'm in a bigger organization. I'm doing copywriting and things like that. But my, my, my main skill is, is naming. And I've done a bunch of uh, pretty well-known brand names, mostly for this company I was with before, but. There's a big namer at I.O. who I took a class with 
who's a blonde woman. You know who I'm talking about? Is she? But she's in L.A. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. Who she, she says she named some famous burger. Oh. I can't remember what it is. Huh. And she's got a funny name. Doesn't matter. Huh. Kind of, I wonder who it is. Um, but I do. I think of you um, for if I ever meet people who work at a company that might want to have someone come in and do improv. I think about that all the time. So. One day one of those will land and I'll actually call you and you'll oh, get a kick out of it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You could excuse to come to LA. Absolutely. I try and get down there as often as I can. You're um, in San Francisco? I am in San Francisco, but I got a the guy who was the uh, executive producer for my Hallmark movies became a really good friend and he lives in Burbank and I can crash at his place and I I, I had an apartment in LA for years. Um, Where'd you live? Oh gosh. I've lived um I started in West Hollywood when I first moved down there, moved in with an old high school buddy of mine who uh, just, it was close to the improv and that's where I wanted to be. And I, I literally spent six nights a week at the improv because the only people I knew in LA when I first moved down there were comedians because oh. I used to be in the comedy, I used to produce comedy shows in San Francisco. Oh, what uh, year did you get here? What year were you going to the improv every night? Oh, that was probably, I think I started in 87. Who was on every night? Oh God! I would Fucking go to- Jerry, like Jesus, eighty-seven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jerry. I used to run a comedy club in Seattle in the early eighties, eighty-two to eighty-five, and Seinfeld was one of my headliners, and Jesus. Paul, Paul Reiser and Harry Anderson and all these guys. Jesus. Um, and then I, I, do you know who Franklin Ajay is? Is that name familiar to you at all? Mm-hmm. Is he like a kung fu guy? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know who that is. <laughs> he's uh, he's a comic. He was in the movie Car Wash. Uh, yeah. He played, okay. He played the fly, the little guy with the big afro. No, exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, but he he was headlining my club, and we uh, um, came up with a concept for a movie. And uh, he ended up. We wrote up like a five page outline, and he called me up the next week and said, "Hey, I found these three producers. They want to they want to buy the." the idea. And I go, Hey, that sounds great. Send me my money. And he said, well, I think we could write this. And I said, "Uh, okay. And we ended up getting a development deal at universal. Um, Who were the three producers? uh, The only one I can remember is Bob Cosberg. Oh man. Oh, that's so awesome. I know. And then two other guys and the three of them teamed up. Is it a high concept comedy by any chance? Well, not only was it a high concept comedy, it was a high concept time travel comedy. Oh, dude, you mean a Bob Cosberg? That's what we call it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a, a long story that I've said on the show before, but I'll tell you some other time about how um, how uh, Back to the Future killed my feature writing career at, right, uh, right. at a very early age. Oh, dude, I as a lit manager, I used to get that call once a week. <laughs> Did you see Variety? <laughs> Did you see what just sold? We're done. And I'm like, no, no, we're not done. It'll be final hang up. I'm like, we're done. This was this was even worse though because uh, we got we got the the call to to write our screenplay when uh, actually we wrote our screenplay and turned in the first draft and then heard nothing and then we got this frantic call to start rewriting and we didn't find out till long afterwards. It was after they'd fired Eric Stoltz. But before they'd found Michael J. Fox, and our film. Was- oh, so they thought maybe there was a window well, that your movie could go because Back to the Future had stalled. And we were both filmed at Universal. 
Oh, man, that's amazing. <laughs> you were going against Steven, so it didn't really matter. No, I know. I know, but it was, uh, and I didn't even know, I, I didn't even know what the race was. <laughs> I, I love it. See, you could be on my podcast with that story. That's the type of story I like on my podcast. <laughs> and I will have Spielberg, I will have you tell that story to Spielberg via yeah. Skype. There you go. I'd love it. I'd See? love it. All right. Well, Brian, it's been great talking to you. Thank you, man. This has been awesome. I've, I've yet to be a guest and I loved it. And uh, when I get down to LA next time, uh, let's uh, let's get together and uh, definitely grab, grab a meal you. and swap some more Hollywood war stories. I'd love to, Mark. Thanks, man. Okay, Brian, take care. Good talking to you. Take care. Thanks again to Brian Flaherty. You can find his show, The New Hollywood Podcast, on iTunes, of course, as well as all the usual podcast haunts, and over on his home site, thenewhollywoodpod.tumblr.com. Before we get out of here, we have one more burst o' durst and the tweet sack. This time out, we Willie Durst sounds off about the coming ice age in Washington, D.C. Hey guys, Will Durst here with your up-to-the-minute national weather report. Batten down the hatches, everybody, because it's getting chilly out there. Due to a high-pressure system emanating from the bases of both the left and the right, the current political forecast is for a long, hard freeze to descend on Washington, D.C. Increasing cold with gusts of ice resulting in a legislative permafrost is the long-term outlook. Storm clouds are gathering and Doppler radar indicates the climate will become so frigid the entire country is in danger of becoming frozen solid over the next two years. And maybe longer, as the tropical winds of change are nowhere in sight. These Arctic storms threaten to rival in intensity the cyclonic activity that has engulfed the Great Red Spot on Jupiter for 300 years. On one side, you have a decidedly frosty Republican Congress warning that anything and everything the president proposes will be dead on arrival. While a distinctly icy, Barack Obama has announced he is prepared to unleash a blizzard of vetoes on any legislation that threatens his legacy. The current atmosphere has the two sides so far apart, they can't even see each other due to the curvature of the Earth. Progress is expected to be glacial, if not non-existent, and snowy drifts of abandoned issues are expected to accumulate on congressional desks. You might want to make a quick trip into town for provisions, because the biting winds and refrigerated relationships are going to make the polar vortex look downright balmy. With strong ideological winds, heavy rains of disregard, and freezing temperatures in store, the 114th Congress looks destined to earn the nickname of... The new ice age. As they say in Game of Thrones, winter is coming. For Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst. Mr. Durst can be found tweeting at Will Durst. You can also catch him here every episode with our burst o' Durst. Sometimes like today, we have two instead of one. All right, it's time to rip into the tweet sack. Oh, hi there, Tweety. First off, it's taken a while, but I finally have some Succotash zipper pulls that are going out to a bunch of uh, listeners, patient listeners, this week, including this week's guest, Brian Flaherty, Dr. Norman Trousers, Nigel Boydell, Matt Trumbull, and Samantha Pett of the Kimchi Chronicles podcast. Um, If you would like a zipper pull, which is just a little thing that sticks, uh, it's got a hook and it goes on your zipper and it helps you pull your zipper open or closed. That's amazing. Also, we have some uh, Succotash magnetic buttons left. If you would like one of those, send me a, uh, uh, just send me your uh, snail mail address. 
uh, in an email to Mark, M-A-R-C, at SuccotashShow.com. And uh, I will eventually, like uh, this batch, eventually get around to uh, schlepping those to the post office. I heard from our old chum Marcus over at the Mental Poison podcast, who has started a new podcast called The Crapulent. I don't know what that means. The Crapulent, C-R-A-P-U-L-E-N-T. Give it a whirl over at thecrapulent.com. Let us know what you think with a comment to at Succotash Show on Twitter. And uh, we'll uh, let Marcus uh, pick up those chips where they lie. Good luck with the, the new podcast. Jabs over at the not-quite-completely-dead, the D-head factor, tweeted today that I am a god amongst men. Men who hide in their basements doing podcasts. That's not much of a god, but I'll take what I can get. Thanks, Jabs. <laughs> Just got the latest batch of clips in from our associate producer, Tyson Saner. Looks like upcoming Epi 203 is going to be filled with some new comedy podcast wonders. Thanks, Tyson. All right, here's the rundown of folks that took time out this past week to tweet, retweet, favorite, follow, or DM us on Twitter this past week. Rolling Comic, Shit's Legit, Satiristas, Salty Language Pod, Kelvic Com, Tova Silberman, uh, Aaron O'Connor, Bob Zaney, Sin City Comedy, Casa Mirth, Nigel Boydell, Lord Lewis Gilbert, FMW with Mr. B, Dave White, Illusionoid, Paul Mercurio, Johnny Taylor, Robert St. Mary, The Projection Booth, Michelle O'Mirth, Eric Furness, One Media Studio, Jordan S. Martyr, Chill Radio, Eat KS, Podcast Dan, San Diego Sabrina, DLX Champagne, Tommy Royal, Radio Fubar, Podcast Whore, DD Hates, Cafe Babel, Red City Images, The Hunter Report, Schmuckman Zero, Broken Filter, The Hafrican 81, Storyworthy, Davian Dent, Leo Kingston, Bob Meyer, Mad Help for You, Dave in the Cave, Quadfather MFT, Level 7 Access Pod, Paige Branson, and James Harkin. All right, that's it for our very first Succotash Chats episode. Next time we'll be back with Succotash Clips along with a new Boozin' with Bill segment, a burst of durst, and who knows what else. I have a favor to ask before we get out of here completely. We'll not cost you a cent. Just jump up on iTunes and search for Succotash, S-U-C-C-O-T-A-S-H, this podcast, and give us a nice rating and a quick review. It'll help increase our visibility. You'll be immortalized on the review page at iTunes, plus I will be your bestest friend. All right, chum, thanks for listening, and be sure to pass the Succotash. You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, and on SoundCloud. You can also hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Email us at marc at SuckatashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our non-toll-free call number, 818-921-7212. That number again is 818-921-7212.
Suckatash is produced and engineered with the kind assistance of Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our associate producer is Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I am your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Suckatash. Goodbye. Goodbye.